and welcome to The Money Movement. This is episode three uh, of The Money Movement, a show where we explore the uh, ideas and chronicle the issues that are driving this brave new world of digital currency and blockchains. Um, really excited for today's episode, The Power of Programmable Money. Uh, we've got some awesome guests that are coming on today to talk about that with us. And I, I just want to set this up a little bit. Um, in earlier episodes of the show, we've, we've talked about some of the big picture macro themes. Um, we've also talked about some of the kind of fundamentals of blockchains and stable coins and how they work. And just to kind of remind folks, you know, how we're looking at this, you know, basically when we think about these public blockchain infrastructures, networks like Ethereum and other, what I think of as, you know, second and third generation blockchains, um, you know, as a, as a business, you need to think about these as a kind of new internet operating system. These are these new public networks that anyone can plug into. And they're like operating systems that people can build software on top of. But unlike centralized systems, like hosting your server with uh, Amazon Web Services uh, or, or a centralized system, these are these decentralized operating systems, which is this really powerful infrastructure that we now have to build applications and, and really specifically applications that have to do with you know, secure record keeping with secure transactions with uh, with value exchange. And so these public chains are really this kind of new distributed compute engines and, and operating systems for this new class of financially oriented and and uh, other types of applications like that on the Internet. We also previously talked a little bit about stable coins. Um, stable coins are a big theme here in the money movement um, and really in many respects stablecoins are demonstrating to be like the killer app of these public blockchains. So now today, you know, stablecoins like USDC, like Tether and others as well, are accounting for the majority of transactions on these networks. And so people have always said, what's the killer app for blockchains? The killer app for blockchains is at this point clearly emerging as stablecoins. The ability for someone to take a digital dollar and transmit it uh, anywhere on the internet in an open and interoperable way. So we, we've explored that a bit in, in earlier episodes. We're going to touch a little bit more on that again today. But a lot of times, you know, people ask me, you know, well, what's the big deal? You know, why is it such a big deal to have these, you know, digital dollars? Like, don't we already have digital dollars? Don't we already have um, systems for making these payments? And there's really two key concepts that are really the big deal. So one is that these digital dollars are behave more like, you know, digital content on the internet, just like you can send a photo to any internet connected device to anyone in the world or open up a video call to anyone peer to peer. And that's a free service. Or you can publish a piece of content on a web server and anyone with a web browser anywhere can access it. That open interoperable nature is what makes the internet so powerful. And we're now bringing that to this kind of digital cash and, and digital dollars. And what that leads to is a world which will look a lot like the internet, ubiquitous, free exchange of value from anyone to anywhere on the internet. So that's the first part that is, you know, why is this such a big deal? But the second part of why this is such a big deal is that for the first time ever, we really have the building blocks for programmable money. Now, once you have a digital dollar, 
that exists on the internet as something that um, can, can run in these networks. These blockchain infrastructures also provide a way to write code and to write code that interacts with these digital assets, in particular, these digital dollars and stable coins. And that code is, is referred to as smart contracts and smart contracts, um, we, we talked about a little bit in episode one, but are a really fundamental breakthrough because this is code that can go up on the internet that is tamper-proof and censorship resistant and that these, um, these digital dollars can be programmed with. And so there's incredible power from this kind of idea of programmable money. And we're in the early stages of exploring that. Many of the you know, breakthrough ideas or you know, many of the first ideas are really just coming alive um, on the internet right now. And I'm really pleased today that we've got three guests each of whom are entrepreneurs and creators that are really demonstrating some of the breakthroughs that become possible with programmable money. So uh, kicking this off, I'm really pleased to welcome uh, Compound Finance's founder and CEO, uh, Robert Leshner. Welcome to the show, uh, Robert. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. All right, good, all right, we have it. We, we, we have it live, that's great. Um, welcome to the show, Robert. How you doing? I'm doing great. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, I, I want to start like really high level. We're going to talk about Compound a little bit, but maybe just starting at a really high level. These these basic building block ideas of smart contracts and programmable money. Obviously, those are like central to the work you're doing. But you know, help help the audience here understand these building blocks. What are these smart contracts? How do you think about this idea of programmable money? Yeah, and you touched on a couple of good points earlier. Um, the way I think about a smart contract is, it's just a very simple computer program that is um, deployed on a blockchain and in the same way that Bitcoin or you know, another asset is deployed on a blockchain in a way that anyone can see the history of it, can see how it operates and can see what goes into this computer program. And these computer programs can be very simple or very complex. And What's nice about them is that um, they work in a predictable fashion. So for a simple computer program or smart contract, it can be something as basic as send money to somebody else on Fridays. Where a more complex uh, smart contract or series of them taken together can produce extremely advanced functionality like build an interest rate market with advanced parameters to it. And what this is set off is essentially rapid iteration and evolution of what's possible with programming money. Um, for a traditional fintech startup, being able to add logic to how money moves and how it works, dealing with all the partners that are required is extremely laborious. Um, it's slow, it's time consuming, and it's difficult. Um, it's why you see a lot of like very incremental improvements in financial products. But with these smart contracts, what you're seeing is an entire community is able to build on each other's work. Um, they're able to see the programs that have already been deployed use them as components in their own. These program. are like money Lego bricks. Yeah, think of them as like money Lego bricks. You know, in traditional software engineering, you know, we could think of these as libraries or components. Sure. Each of these smart contracts is a Lego brick or a library for other computer programs. And all of this is sort of, you know, building on itself. And we're seeing really fascinating um, new applications emerge very quickly um, in this open and shared, you know, financial sandbox. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's fascinating. Obviously, 
I think one of the things that people have a hard time getting their head wrapped around, I think people understand like, okay, these are like libraries or these are like Lego bricks and people can use them. And we have like open source code and we have, you know, these things. But I, I think the thing that um, is hard for a lot of, you know, just business people to understand is that, that these smart contracts, like they, they run on this, this internet computer. They run on like this, this public operating system. And then once they're out there, that anyone can interact with them as like a shared resource or a shared good, that these are, these are sort of, um, you know, machine enforced contracts that are on the public internet. And that's a, I think, a, a it's, it's a challenging concept for people to get over. And um, this idea of, you know, hey, you know, hey, you know, like compound, which we'll, we'll talk more about in a sec, um, you know, how would, how would you kind of explain that to, uh, to, you know, someone who's not familiar with, uh, you know, a decentralized virtual machine or, or what, what, what have you? Yeah, so I think the best way is with an analogy. So when you deposit money into your bank account, you have really no ability to understand all of the different pieces that go into providing you that financial service. All of the processes and Excel spreadsheets and databases and operations and all the things that go into it that create this very basic financial product for yourself. Put a dollar into a bank, have a return, you know, 10 basis points here, whatever it is. There's massive amounts of operations and work behind the scenes to create that for you. Whereas a smart contract on a blockchain is a very simple, you know, tool to create the same financial product or service. Um, the difference is you can see exactly how it works. You can see the lines of code that compose um, the product or service. You can see exactly how it operates. The community can audit it, vet it, right. and everyone can see exactly all of the logic that went into it and what is expected to happen. And so it gets to this it's, trust it's, issue, right? Like it, it, because it's like this publicly verifiable thing, this publicly auditable thing, you know, that sort of you're, 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 you're dealing with people's value, you know, that, that public network and public transparency seems like a really key concept here. Yes, it's one way of, you know, reducing surprises um, by increasing transparency. And in traditional markets, we have a lot of other ways to reduce surprises and create trust and create stability. You know, the advantage of these contracts on the blockchain is, you know, that um, they're extremely transparent and predictable. And long term, I think that's, you know, a direction that most economic activity is going to shift it because, you know, it's extremely pure. Um, it's extremely efficient. You know, there's very little cost in administrating these uh, contracts. And like, it's kind of like in a lot of ways, the what people want from financial systems. They want them to be predictable, fast, transparent, fair, yeah. you know, and composable into more complex financial services. And, and sort of open and globally accessible in the same way that the internet is, which is, which is really key. Yeah. Let's, let's turn to Compound a little bit. So I love to talk about Compound. Um, I, 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 you know, I think stable coins are a killer app. I think Compound is a killer app because of, of you know, you're, you know, you're taking this, uh, this idea of these, you know, these digital currencies and things like that. And you're effectively, as you said, you're creating an interest rate market, but you know, I, the way I like to think of it and, and, you know, you can explain this, uh, probably way, way better than I can. Um, but is, you know, this is like a, a, a decentralized marketplace for people to lend and borrow. And typically when we think about lending or borrowing, we think about, you know, like a loan officer at a bank and we think about, um, you know, the, all this sort of complexity, um, but the, you've created a, a marketplace and it's not, there's no company. It's actually, it's just software that exists on the internet. Talk, talk to us about 
you know, where did Compound come from? Where is it today? What does it do? And, and you know, maybe just in, in like really basic terms also for just like a person who runs a business, like what can they do with this? Yeah, that's a great question. So Compound is an interest rate market and what it enables people or applications or, you know, financial participants to do is to borrow an asset instantly and programmatically using another asset as collateral. So in traditional markets, you see people using houses as collateral and using securities as collateral and accessing money using assets that are well understood. Compound takes this functionality and, and puts it in a blockchain in an open, transparent series of computer programs that anyone can see how they work and interact with them themselves. And so it enables people to very um, seamlessly borrow an asset instantly um, on a blockchain using another asset. So we see that um, it, it's a common occurrence where people will say, oh, I have a use case to settle you know, a trade or to settle you know, an international financial use case or I need liquidity. And they can borrow a stable coin or another uh, crypto asset from Compound programmatically. And we see this, you know, replicating um, a lot of existing financial market functionality, mm -hmm. but in a way that's accessible to anyone in the world um, programmatically. It's, um, this is, it's like really profound, right? So there's a, there's a marketplace for borrowing and lending. It exists and is enforced entirely by code on the public internet. Anyone can ins inspect it to see if it's fair, if it works, if it's trustworthy, et cetera. And, and, and that's in a sense, it's say if you combine it with stable coins like USDC, like you now have uh, the ability for, you know, potentially billions of people around the world to tap into, you know, a, a lending market with a smartphone and a digital wallet. And, you know, that was just something that was inconceivable maybe for them in the past. All of this was inconceivable just years ago. Um, I think, you know, the pace of, you know, financial innovation that's occurring um, with smart contracts and stable coins is, you know, it's a breakthrough. Yeah, really. So um, maybe, maybe, um, you know, talk a little bit about with, with Compound today, you know, we talk about stable coins as a killer app, like how much is stable, how much are stable coins used, um, you know, with, with, with this Compound uh, protocol today? Yeah, so stable coins are, you know, the dominant form of economic activity that we're seeing. Um, people like to borrow you know, a stable asset, they like to borrow a dollar instead of borrowing, you know, a volatile cryptocurrency. And people like earning an interest rate on a stable coin, on a dollar. Um, and what this creates is, you know, it allows anyone in the world to have the same access to the same financial service. So no matter where you are, you're always able to access the same interest rate as someone else um, anywhere in the world. And, you know, every country has its own currencies. And what we're seeing is a lot of demand internationally and domestically mm -hmm. for people to access a US dollar based return um, yeah. or a US dollar based uh, ability to borrow predictably and in a safe and stable way. And so we've seen over, you know, a billion dollars of activity in Compound so far since launching the protocol uh, almost exactly one year ago, which, you know, has exceeded all of our expectations. Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, I won't ask you to make predictions on, uh, you know, what the next 12 months or 24 months uh, looks like, but like clearly this is, this is on a pretty dramatic growth curve and um, really, really, really exciting. Um, it's awesome, Robert. Um, thank you so much for joining today and, you know, sharing your ideas in this space of programmable money and congratulations on the incredible work that you guys are doing. 
and I wish you continued great success. Thanks, Eric. Take care. So pretty interesting, uh, you know, pretty interesting stuff here. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing these Lego bricks, the birth of these Lego bricks, uh, you know, kind of coming together and building blocks that you can use, stable coins with lending protocols. And we're gonna look at a few more here today. Um, we're gonna shift gears for a moment and um, talk about another really powerful and innovative idea, another Lego brick, uh, if you will, in this new world of composable, uh, programmable money uh, protocols. Um, and that's something that has only just become possible with uh, programmable money and stable coins on blockchains. And this, this idea of streaming money and streaming payments. Uh, I'd like to welcome and and uh, am excited to have us uh, have on the show uh, Paul Rosvenberg, um, the founder and CEO of Salier. Uh, welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, Jeremy. Uh, thank you for for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, you know, funny enough, my last business before uh, doing this, this uh, blockchain and, and digital currency thing was a streaming video company. And, um, uh, you know, the, the streaming protocols and the ability for people to access things on demand um, and be able to, the ability to do that over the internet and for a person to connect with another person and sort of stream, people have gotten used to that idea, right? So, um, you know, back when I was starting my, that last company, which was way back in 2004, you know, the idea of like streaming your television show or having a, a streaming video call, like these were like science fiction or people were skeptical that, of these things, but the idea of streaming was pretty new. Now we have this idea of streaming money um, and streaming payments. And, and intuitively it makes a ton of sense to me, which is, there are moments in time and, and, and scenarios in your life as an individual or as a business where you, you, know, you, you don't wanna you know, have a giant payment, but you might wanna have that payment you know, kind of metering itself out in different ways. And I guess the, you know, the existing financial system isn't super well set up uh, to support something like that, but you came up with this idea of streaming payments uh, or maybe other people had the idea and you executed on that idea uh, with Xavier. And I'm, I'm really excited. It's a very powerful idea. You know, maybe just first give us, give the audience a sense for like, what does this innovation uh, enable? Sure. Um, before you do that, the video streaming co of company is a very good um, analogy because um, we like to say that just like you can stream movies on, on Netflix or like stream, uh, like stream movies on, on, on Netflix and stream mu music on, on, on Spotify so you can stream money on, on Subier. Um, and what we do is, is a protocol and a UI for, for money streaming, which means um, in, in a simple form, uh, payments by the second. But payments which are continuous, trustless, and autonomous, they don't, they don't require human input. In fact, if you want to interact and integrate our protocol into your own application, you don't have to ask us for, for permission. You can just, you know, read our docs. And this is one of go. these Lego bricks, right? So this is out there on the internet. It's a, it's a protocol. I want to come back to that in a minute, but like yes. anyone can tap into this. This isn't like I have to do a deal with you guys. It's just like you've created something that people can plug into. Exactly. And you can just like ch ch uh, check out our Ethereum smart contracts. We have 
um, and open documentation for that. And we have seen people coming up with use cases that we haven't thought about when we launched the company in the first place. So that was exciting to see. What are, what are like, you know, help paint the picture. Like what, sure. what does this allow? What does this allow for? Um, we initially thought about using Subbier for things like continuous payroll, right? So when you're in this um, um, remote work environment with people working across borders, um, it's very hard to enact trust, right? Um, because you can start working today, but maybe you're paid in two or three months. With Subbier, that problem becomes another problem because um, you start a stream and, you know, if, if the employee doesn't execute, you can just cancel the stream um, and vice versa. If, if the company... Um, you know, doesn't pay you, you can just like stop working. Um, but as we um, grew the protocol over time, we have seen people using this for things like auctions, where people have been bidding up um, uh, the way that specific idea worked was that people were auctioning like literally money and saying that I will, I will give you that money back on Sublier as a stream. You just like have to bid higher up and higher up. Mm -hmm. um, somebody else used this for um, incentivizing people to reply to our emails. So if you're um, replying faster, the stream um, was get like giving you more money the, the faster that you replied. Right. Um, so yeah, there are many like many in interesting things that you see happening when you have like an open protocol on the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, I mean, when pe most people think about getting paid, uh, you know, uh, if you're in if you're in an advanced economy, uh, you know, it's like. I have to go to my payroll company and I have to set up a di di direct deposit and there's all this stuff and it's like every two weeks and it's delayed. And we started to see obviously like, you know, the, 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 the mobile internet and other things have made like gig economy, um, you know, uh, more flexible forms of work, like all possible. And it seems to me like what you're creating is something that, you know, any business or any person who conducts work um, could really benefit from um, this this idea that they're um, you know able to kind of you know as tasks are complete or as uh, you know work is completed or you know these very flexible forms of work um, become possible and it's not some big complex you know uh, overhead it's just you know it's as simple as turning and turning on and off and dialing up and down these these streams exactly and you can just like um, set up a stream in less than one minute if you have the tokens um, and go to our UI on Subbier the finance. Exactly, it's, it's very easy. Okay, so um, so if, if let's talk about the tokens. So you guys support USDC, I believe. Of course. Um, okay. So like Subbier is compatible with any ERC twenty token. Okay, so you, you know a lot of different scenarios there, but let's just take the stablecoin one for a moment. Um, so I'm I'm a business and I, I basically can connect to this protocol, I can load value into it in advance, uh, and then I can kind of stream out and release funds based on, you know, things that are happening, events in, in my business or work completed or other things. Yeah, so in, in, in V1, you just like have to have the um, USDC tokens up front and you select like a duration and we will calculate for you um, a specific payment rate per second. And from that moment on, the contract will just move that money on a per second basis to your recipient. Um, in future version, uh, versions, we will have like multiple kinds of streams where, where you can set the payment rate per second by yourself. But for now, that's how it works. You have to preset the uh, streaming period yourself. I see, I see. 
Um, it's very, very cool. And because this is like, um, uh, like a, a, a protocol, as we talked about, it's a Lego brick, um, developers can integrate directly to this as well. Precisely, yes. Um, if you're the hackathon, we would love to, to talk to you and you know, uh, show you how we can use this into yeah. your own app. Circle is having a hackathon uh, awesome. soon for Circle APIs and USDC. And so we'll make sure that people are, are hacking with, uh, with your protocol. Um, it's, um, it's really exciting. I mean, I think, as you mentioned before, like in this remote work environment, which is obviously the new normal and in, <laughs> in, a, in a world where, um, you know, trust and risk are, are, are coming under uh, attack uh, or there's a lot of risk and trust is coming under attack. And, um, and, and clearly, like we're moving to this more distributed workforces, you know, every week we're hearing announcements of like leading technology companies saying, hey, we're going to go distributed. Like this is all um, going to change the nature of work, continue to change the nature of work. Um, where do you see this going? I mean, um, do, do you imagine that this this protocol like just becomes something that lots and lots of different companies are, are using to innovate in like their own business models and their own like em employee uh, and or flexible worker kind of relationships? My take on that is that like Subyear works very well with this. Um, another movement that is happening within the Ethereum ecosystem, and that is the DAO movement with yes. um, these so-called decentralized autonomous organizations. And I'm not necessarily um, rooting for, you know, let's burn the ship down and forget about all the um, like old, um, you know, company stock formation and all of that. Those are very good processes. But I think that DAOs can complement yeah. the company stock very, very well. And you can have like this global platform where yeah. um, the Ethereum DAO becomes the proxy between all these countries. And of course, subject can be used with, yeah. with any DAO. Um, you, you just need to um, sign two or more transactions to call our contract, but that's it. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, uh, as I'll mention later next week, we have the nature of the corporation in the age of blockchain and we've got Aragon and open law and um, some others, um, and actually, uh, uh, Claris, uh, who's joining us, uh, uh, Federico is joining us momentarily, uh, you know, touching into some of these, you know, d decentralized forms of how do you operate a, a decentralized organization. It's, it's, it's really, really exciting. Um, that's, well, it's really awesome, Paul. Um, I'm, I'm really excited that you're able to share with us today what you're working on. I'm really excited to see where it goes. And, uh, you know, just thank you so much for joining us and uh, hope to see you really soon. Likewise, uh, thank you for, for having me and thank you for sh uh, spreading a word about our money movement here, right? Um, Absolutely. Cheers, Paul. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Awesome. Um, really interesting ideas, obviously. Um, I, I, when I think about all these things, like these, these are all really new ideas. Like Robert shared, like Compound launched a year ago, already a billion dollars of activity in that. Uh, Sablier protocol, um, really new and so many interesting ideas happening with it. I like to think back to, if you guys can remember, you know, it was like 2007, actually like 2008, not the financial crisis, but um, there was a, you know, a, tech, a set of technologies that converged all at the same time. So the, the iPhone had been out, uh, but it was just like, you could only use it with the apps that they had and it was on a slow network connection. And then, um, the iPhone 3G came out and it had a, you know, you could have a faster connection and they put a GPS chip in there, which other phones had done, but they also connected it to an app store. So you could create software on it. 
And it was those three things combined that allowed creative entrepreneurs to invent things that transformed society that no one had really thought of, or maybe if they thought of them, they couldn't execute them. It gave us Uber. Uh, it gave us the sharing economy. Um, and really dramatic changes happened in the nature of work, in the nature of how corporations function. And I really feel like what's happening now with programmable money um, is, is, uh, is really equivalent. And we're seeing some powerful new building blocks uh, when they converge together, they're gonna to allow people to do some amazing things. So um, our final guest here is also working on uh, a set of Lego bricks that I think are really critical to everyday payments and commerce. Uh, and so joining us from Buenos Aires is Clara's founder and CEO, uh, Federico Asp. Welcome to uh, the money movement, Federico. Hello, Jeremy. Uh, great to be here. And I couldn't help but notice that you have a Claros logo behind you. That little statue is a icohydron <laughs> dice <or> logo. <laughs> uh, you know, it's all part of the product placement idea. Good production. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, thank you for joining us uh, uh, today. It's really, really awesome to have you on. Um, I, I want to just start, you know, talking a, a little bit about just first this issue of trust, which, which came up in, in the prior conversation. We've talked a lot about this issue of trust and how blockchains and stable, stable coins can change some of that, meaning you can use a trustless network to make a transaction between another party, uh, you know, at the speed of the internet with a kind of final irreversible settlement, um, which, is, which is extremely powerful. And in, in the current environment, you know, being able to have these uh, you know, uh, digital dollar transactions with people around the world instantly, securely is, is really powerful, except when there's not entire trust uh, that's there. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, a big part of the, the, you know, the decentralization movement and a big part of the money movement, if you will, is this idea of eliminating, you know, centralized counterparties um, and enabling more peer-to-peer -peer transactions. But, you know, one of the things that comes up is, well, what if there's not 100% trust there? What if there is some contingency on a payment? And, you know, typically, you know, we use, we use banks or we use trust companies, we use escrows, we have these other ways uh, to do that. And you have, it sounds like, you know, built, again, a Lego brick, a really powerful Lego brick, which is a escrow system, and there's more to it, obviously, than that, but we'll start with that. You've created an escrow protocol that's compatible with stablecoins like USDC that helps with those scenarios where there isn't 100% trust. Maybe just first, just tell us about this and how this works at a really high level. Yeah, sure. A big part of the transaction world is about creating trust, and this requires ways to solve problems where there is not a straightforward solution like if I hire you to make like a website, for example, on a decentralized um, e-commerce platform, and there is a dispute between you and I because uh, you claim that uh, I claim that you didn't comply with the specifications, um, smart contracts cannot really solve this like automated in an automated way. You need some like human layer of verification that's going to be like um, analyzing the evidence and the claim and voting who is right, and this is an important piece of governance for all of this trust to be created in the decentralized ecosystem. Kleros is uh, uh, this court system that's going to provide some human verification and some human decision for claims where there is subjectivity. Uh, and one of them could be the e-commerce or the website or service delivery, but there are lots of them. For example, we are in the world of decentralized finance and you have people from all around the world 
financing projects through tokens, uh, sales. And so maybe they claim that they, the team didn't comply with what was promised. So should the next payment be um, released or not? So you need some human layer for verification and decision there. And so in order for this decentralized world uh, and the money movement to, to move forward, you need this fundamental piece of governance to solve these kind of problems. And that's what we are trying to do. So this is, is fascinating. So again, we're, we're, we're taking these ideas of smart contracts and we're saying, you know, there's a problem and the problem is, um, you know, you know, sometimes you need to make a judgment about whether work was performed or whether, uh, uh, you, know, you know, something that someone promised to do has been fulfilled and you want to lock the payment in some way where both parties can see, okay, the funds are there. And they're, you know, the, 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 say the stable coin, like a USDC is sort of there, you can see it. And, and so, you know, the, it's good funds, right? But then, you, you know, you need to have, uh, you know, both parties agree, okay, the work is completed, and then that can be released. And, and so that basic use case, it sounds like is supported in the Claris protocol. We use it, for example, ourselves in the company, when we hire some freelancer to do some, let's say a translation for us. Um, so we put the money into an, the escrow, and then if everything goes right, the, 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 the freelancer gets the money, we are happy, we release the payment. If there is a disagreement on the quality of the service, this is go, going to be solved by the court of Claros where jurors are going to analyze the, the job that was done and decide. So this is something that we are using today and solve this kind of problems. So this, is, this leads to the other like really big idea here, which is um, essentially how can we, you know, just, just like I, I, I use uh, different analogies, like, you know, um, back when, you know, e-commerce marketplaces came out, you had eBay uh, and, and then, you know, Alibaba and Amazon sellers. And, you know, you know, early on, you know, if I was buying something on eBay, well, how, how do I know that the person who says they're selling me this autographed baseball or, or whatever that is, how do I know that they're legit? And so there were these, you know, trust and reputation systems. There was sort of community policing. There's reputation. There's uh, these things to do that, and it it didn't require like a court system. I mean, you know, in some ways, but it it did rely on you know these digital signals or other things to do that. And in some ways, it sounds like what you're doing is you're kind of taking it to the next level, which is you know really any kind of transaction that can happen between parties, whether it's people or businesses or others that happens on the internet, um, you can introduce like a, a, a decentralized arbitration system uh, where people are incentivized to uh, actually, you know, make the right judgment or, or ju make a judgment for truth. That's interesting that you mentioned like eBay um, or every e-commerce platform or company because essentially they, they are courts. So if you have a dis dispute with another user in the platform, platform is there, the is a, there is an internal court, a private court where someone, some moderator or some uh, customer service employee is going to make a decision in a fully private way with a fully private process where you can't have the way as a user to like influence the process and not even, you, you don't even know what is the process. Right. So, it's the court of eBay, it's the court of PayPal, it's the yeah. court of Amazon. We, we don't see it as a court because we see it as customer service, but if you think it through, it's basically a private court. So take this out of this black box, put it on the blockchain so everyone can know how the decision is going to be made and everyone can 
know that this is going to be made in a transparent way. And then the users who are going to make the decision are not like influenced in a new way and they have the incentive to make the decision in an honest way. So this is what Clerus is trying to do, like put this decentralized, so this system that now is centralized in a decentralized way with the procedural warranty that is going to be conducted in the way that is, it was said it was, it's going to be done and the blockchain supports that. Um, just one comment how it works. You have like different courts within the Claro system and users can stake a token into a court and this gives them the right to be drawn as a juror in that court randomly among all of those who also stake the token and those who are selected, they're going to be, to have the right to be the jurors in the case. And then there is a whole bunch of game theoretical defenses against different types of attacks because as this grows, more and more people are going to try to abuse the system. So there is yeah. lots of research put into that to work correctly. So maybe, I mean, just thinking about this out loud a little bit, like, uh, you know, we, we've seen these, like, these big open platforms emerge, like let's say it's YouTube or blogging platforms or, you know, or, or even, you know, take Uber as like a platform where, you know, yeah people can kind of connect to these platforms and generate value for themselves in different ways. You know, if you, if you're really good at creating content, you might earn ad revenue. Um, these sort of, these sort of, uh, you know, micro streams of income is your idea that, you know, you know, people around the world broadly, um, that becoming an arbitrator can become uh, a source of income for them by participating in a decentralized arbitration system. Absolutely. Uh, like if you are some person from like, I don't know, the Philippines or from my city, from Buenos Aires, and you have the expertise to uh, adjudicate like website disputes uh, as to follow with the previous yeah. example, uh, like why, so I, I could make money by being an arbitrator in this dispute. And this is a very valid source of income for lots of people who are around the world uh, and trying to, yeah, to, to make money into the global economy and, they now they can receive payments and make payments very cheaply yeah. with of course crypto and they can uh, and they can do escrow transactions with usdc of course so uh yes. this is a, a great way for people around the world to be integrated into the global economy that's it's really really interesting i think um you know it's uh, people everywhere can you know sort of monetize their expertise and and monetize uh their trustworthiness um, and and participate in this building this much more resilient infrastructure for how commerce happens. They can make money and at the same time enable um, the, the this money movement to move forward by providing governance services for lots of transactions to to be done with trust and security. And yeah, and everyone can participate. That this doesn't discriminate against anyone. So, um, you know, a, a big part of this, obviously, with, you know, with public blockchains and stable coins and these permissionless protocols is it's this inherently global nature and this idea of entering into, you know, commerce, transactions, relationships that are sort of independent of any, uh, any nation state, any, any, anyone. And it seems like you're really helping create a, create a Lego brick, a building block in this programmable money universe that, that really helps us move in that direction. Yeah, I'm very happy to do so because, you know, also I'm from Buenos Aires and I live in Buenos Aires. And, you know, this is a country which had so many problems with currency and with government and so, so right. that I see really the, the pain point here and the problem that Claros can solve and the opportunities yeah. that it can bring for inclusion for lots of people. So, yeah, um, that's what we are trying to do.
Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we explore a lot of these sort of global macro issues here in the money movement as well. And as we know, like the global macro issues, the, the stresses that are going to happen on currencies, on sovereign governments, on civil society as a result of the economic crisis and the health crisis, it's going to create an environment where people want to participate in the global economic system. They want to participate in, in labor and value exchange and other things. But it may even be that in some cases their own their own governance systems are are, are weakened and not trustworthy and and so um, some really powerful stuff. So this is super super exciting, Federico. I'm I'm really pleased that you could join us here today to share what you're working on and really excited to see how it develops. Thanks so much. Thank you for inviting me, Jeremy. Absolutely. Well, so. Fascinating, fascinating things, you know, from uh, a decentralized lending market to a really innovative infrastructure for how value can be streamed flexibly based on work to uh, a decentralized system for um, escrowed transactions and adjudicating those fascinating stuff. We're obviously in the early innings of this innovation. Um, creative entrepreneurs, engineers and others are, are building right now. Um, this is clearly uh, a massive phase of, of development that's happening. Um, you know, these, these protocols uh, and smart contracts really are Lego bricks. So every one of the guests here, each one of the things they're working on, someone can tie those all together and, and build something with that as well. And combine that obviously with things like Circles APIs, USDC starts to really make some interesting things possible. So I think, um, as I mentioned before, this is, this is leading us into territory, which just hasn't been possible before. And so we're excited to see. One of the things in particular that we're excited about, and we sort of touched on a little bit in, um, in some of the session today, which is this development of a new kind of infrastructure around corporate forms, the way in which organizations themselves are set up, the way people are incentivized, compensated, governed, um, some really interesting innovation happening there, and um, we're going to be talking about that next week, and I'll, I'll share more. But uh, first, just wanted to let everyone know, next week we have a, uh, a special edition. So we have two episodes of The Money Movement next week, and the first is a special edition, which is actually going to be Tuesday at 9 a.m., and it's on some of these bigger macro themes. So uh, it's full reserve banking, narrow bank digital currency charters, and the China model with the Chinese digital currency system. We have an incredible group of guests. Uh, we have a, a senior research member from uh, the Bank of England, Michael Kumloff, uh, who's also uh, done pioneering work at the IMF, including pioneering work looking at how full reserve models of banking actually can lead to less debt, fewer recessions, and higher output. And we're gonna talk to him about that. And we're gonna talk to him about the connection of that to digital currency models and central bank money that backs digital currency models. And then related, um, we're gonna be joined by the IMF's uh, Tommaso Mantini Grifoli, uh, who is a, a senior member uh, of, of the capital markets uh, and, and market infrastructure team at the IMF. And he's done a lot of pioneering work for the IMF on stable coins, central bank digital currency models, and in particular, this idea of narrow banks. The idea that there's a special kind of, of bank charter that is specific to firms that might issue stable coins. And, but it's a full reserve banking model uh, that backs that. So some interesting proposals that have come out of the IMF around this that I think are quite resonant uh, these days as we see the growth in stable coins. And then last but not least, we're gonna be joined by uh, Dr. Chanwei David Zhou, 
uh, chief economist at Wanjen uh, Blockchain. He's also associate research fellow for the People's Bank of China. He is a deep fintech expert uh, out of China uh, and has uh, also published extensively on the new Chinese uh, digital currency DCEP and is going to be bringing perspective on DCEP, which is also a full reserve model and the implications for that uh, for fintech, the banking sector, and of course for all of us around the world. So uh, then next uh, on Thursday, we're going to explore the future of corporations in the age of blockchains. Uh, this idea that uh, blockchain infrastructure makes it possible to establish new kinds of corporate forms. And we have some really exciting guests for that as well. Uh, Professor Jason Potts from uh, RMIT uh, University in Australia. He's done really pioneering work on the microstructures of corporate forms and in particular what blockchain infrastructure in particular permissionless public blockchain infrastructure is gonna allow us to do in rethinking the nature of what a firm even is. So he's gonna introduce that. And then we're joined by uh, Luis uh, Quende, who's co-founder of Aragon, uh, which is a really pioneering project in the construction of these decentralized autonomous organizations and really allows any type of new organization to form and be entirely governed and run uh, by smart contracts on blockchain, which is a very powerful idea. And then finally, Aaron Wright, who is co-founder of OpenLaw, uh, open Law is a infrastructure and a set of open source code that sits at the intersection of the existing legal system and smart contract based models and really finding a way to uh, bring what are actual contracts into smart contracts and be able to execute more and more of how we run the world. Uh, on on these blockchains. So it's going to be an excellent show and really looking forward to uh, to having those guests. So until next week, uh, stay well, stay safe, and stay informed. Thank you. <laughs>